Well, we finally had a pretty decent basketball game in game one of the NBA Finals last night. Had a good time watching the game. I mean, I'm an, getting to be an old man, so a lot of these these later games I've gone to bed before they get over. But this one I didn't uh, stayed up till the end of it, so I know everybody's super proud of me for that. But hey, it was entertaining and back and forth, and some of it played out the way uh, I or others thought it would. Uh, Boston, I, the first half was honestly closer than I than I thought it might be. I thought Boston might be up by five to seven, um, but they do go into the half up. And then, of course, Golden State comes out and storms back in the third quarter. And then the fourth quarter, uh, that was surprising uh, to see it flip that dramatically. So, hey, we're going to walk through just some stuff from game, game one, look ahead to game two, uh, some observations, some statistics, and then what adjustments might be made. Please do uh, leave a comment. What did you see? What do you think was important from game one? What adjustments do you think are going to be made? Who's going who's gonna to take game two? All that good stuff post that in the comments also please do hit that subscribe and like button very much appreciated uh, as you're watching these videos <clears throat> all right first up some observations the game started out and i was almost screaming at my tv because i did not understand what boston was doing on defense to start the game they started out with robert williams on andrew wiggins robert williams is uh he looked okay <laughs> Like he got through the game and he was able to run up and down the court some. I still think he looks a little bit hobbled, but he was able to be somewhat effective, had some good blocks, played decent defensively. But putting him on Andrew Wiggins, I thought was a big mistake because especially a hobbled version of Robert Williams is going to be at an athletic disadvantage against Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins also is going to pull Williams out away from the basket, which is where he's going to be most effective as a defender. So they had Robert Williams on Wiggins, and then Tatum was playing Draymond Green, and Tatum was playing Green like he was Stephen Curry or something. Uh, he was all up on him, trying to steal the ball, putting a ton of pressure on him. And this is against the player on the Warriors who is the least effective offensively, which we're going to get to uh, some in terms of observations and, and stuff moving forward. But And, and my biggest problem with the, how tight he was playing green I can understand green is a good passer and so you might take away some of his passing lanes by closing that distance but it kept Tatum from being able to help and it created more space in the lane for cutting and so I felt like if Tatum had played off of green a little bit more or as I'll get to have not not have Tatum play on him at all but it would have allowed him to be more effective in the passing lanes to be actually more disruptive not less and so Golden State got out to this hot start, and I felt like that was sort of a key to what was happening was the way that the Celtics were playing defense. However, by the second half, the Celtics did make an adjustment there, which I thought was really smart. They got Robert Williams onto Draymond Green. They got Jason Tatum onto Andrew Wiggins, and I think that worked out much better. That makes much more sense because it allows Robert Williams to play off and sort of patrol the paint. He doesn't have to worry too much about Green's shooting. Um, and so I, I thought that was a, a key defensively, um, even though obviously the third quarter, the Warriors went off. I felt like that was an important adjustment. So that was observation number one. Second observation, Jalen Brown has no handles. I mean, it is if you're a Celtics fan, it is a heart attack every time that man touches the ball and starts dribbling. Uh, he looks like me in rec league trying to dribble around people. I mean, it, it's sloppy. Even when he he hangs on to the ball, it's like he hangs on to it by the, by the skin of his teeth. Like, uh, it, it's just ugly. 
when Jalen Brown has the ball. Now, obviously, we know that he's an athlete. I think he does do really well in transition. And if they can get out in transition, I think him having the ball there or being on the break is a good look for him. We know if he gets hot, he can knock down threes for sure. And he certainly can drive and get to the basket. He's a really good athlete. However, against a good defensive team, I do think it's a little concerning to see Jalen Brown have the ball too much because I think it's going to lead to a lot of turnovers. It was interesting in the game that in crunch time in the fourth quarter, they went to Jason Tatum having the ball and not Jalen Brown so much. And actually not much of Marcus Smart either, but maybe there's an awareness there that Jalen Brown having the ball in key situations is not a good idea. I'm not sure it's a great idea pretty much ever. Uh, I think him playing off the ball is is better. Um, so that was observation number two is Jalen Brown has no handles. And I, I think him having the ball in his hands too much could be problematic for Boston if they if they run that forward. Uh, another observation, Gary Payton uh, second did not play. And I thought that that was interesting. I mean, I know he got in in garbage time for a minute or two at the end. I wonder if he's still too hurt to play. I wonder if maybe the matchup wasn't favorable. Um, he's certainly a strong defensive player. And, and I wondered about him being able to get on like Derek White. I mean, I'll talk about this too. I don't know that Derek White's going to repeat what he did yesterday, but he certainly was hot. And so you could have put someone like Gary Payton on him to try to slow him down a little bit in that game yesterday. And I think that could have helped the Warriors uh, to maybe even hold on to the win. And so I, it's curious to me why he didn't play. I haven't been able to go and read and see if Steve Kerr said anything about that. But I'll, I'll be interested to see if they insert him at all defensively moving forward. And then the last observation is just, it got into the fourth quarter and Boston had made this comeback. And I thought, man, it feels like the Warriors are up by 20. Yet Boston won. <laughs> it was, And you look at the stats and, and the game makes sense. But just the feel of the game, the Warriors felt in control. They felt on these big runs. It felt like Boston was struggling to keep up, yet Boston wins the game. So not sure what that means moving forward, but uh, uh, it was a different outcome than what it felt like watching the game, I thought. All right, let's move on to some some stats that were key from yesterday. <clears throat> First of all, Jason, Jason Tatum sucked. 42 minutes, 3 of 17 from the field, 1 of 5 from three-point range, 5 of 7 from the free-throw line, only 5 rebounds. He did have 13 assists, so obviously that's really good. And, and he may have to play that role some. I mean, talked about this on the stream with D-Nice and Pig uh, yesterday, that Jason they, they might be doubling and trying to get the ball out of Jason Tatum's hands, so he may have to get more assists. But he still had 17 shots and hit 3. It's sort of hard to imagine him doing that poorly again. Maybe. I mean, we'll see. I think Jason Tatum really needs to step up here and find a way to lock in if he needs to get to the basket more, uh, if he needs to get out and shoot around in warm-ups more. I don't know what it is, but it, it, they can't have him playing like that every game and really win this series, I don't think. Which leads me to the second point. Horford, Smart, and White combined to go 15 from 20 for 23 from three-point range. I think there is a very low likelihood that that trio can, can replicate that performance probably again in this whole series. I'm not saying they can't shoot well. I mean, out of those three, you probably do get one or two of them who are hot again, but to have all three be relatively hot on the same night, let me just real quick here pull up the 
the box score and walk through those guys individually. So Horford, six of eight. They said on the broadcast, I didn't double check this, but <clears throat> excuse me, seems true that that's the most threes he's hit in his career. And he only missed two. So he shot 75% from three-point range. That's right. I just did that math in my head. Six divided by eight, take that. Uh, Marcus Smart, four of seven, which if you look at his box scores and his shooting from three, it is an anomaly for him to shoot over 50% from three-point range, yet he did it. And Derek White, five of eight from three-point range. So again, still good. Like he's a good three-point shooter, but is he going to go five of eight, shoot over 50%? I just don't know that it's going to happen. So on the one hand, I think you have Jason Tatum, who's unlikely to be as bad again as he was in game one. But then you have this trio of secondary players, Horford, Smart, and White, who are unlikely to be as good as they were in game one. So that's going to be interesting moving forward. Another, th um, So that's sort of the Boston side. A couple stats on the Golden State side. One that was interesting uh, or that's influential is just Draymond's complete inability to shoot. It's killing Golden State. He went 2 of 12, 0 of 4 from three-point range, 0 of 3 from the three-throw line. Now, with Draymond Green, they're going to leave him open to shoot threes. If he can't hit one out of four, I mean, it, it's basically having one player on the offensive end who's non-existent. I know that he can run the offense. He does get the shooter's good looks at times, but he's got to have some kind of threat of being able to score. I mean, he missed layups last night to go over three from the line. I mean, you can't shoot threes, but you also can't drive because if you get fouled, you're not going to hit your free throws. Now, he may not be that bad again, but Draymond's not a good shooter, period. I mean, that's just largely the case, and so... I think it's problematic moving forward if Draymond Green is going to be that bad, and I don't think it's a long shot for him to be that bad. I could see him stepping up and having one decent offensive game in the series, but overall, I definitely don't think he's trustworthy offensively, and he killed him last night. Number two, uh, Steph Curry had a huge first half, but it evened out. He only ended up 7 of 14 from three-point range. I believe he was 6 of 9, I want to say, in the first half. Something like that. So it really came back to earth in the second. Now, there are two ways to look at this. On the one hand, you don't like to see him go off for a half and then completely cool off and not be as much of a factor. On the other hand, that's a repeatable shooting performance for him. 7 of 14 from three-point range. He definitely can do that again. He can probably even top it. So I think for Golden State, if he had kept that pace up, like let's say that he goes... A, you know 10 or 11 of 14 from three-point range and they still lose man now you're going what are we going to do because our best player absolutely went off and we still lost well Steph didn't absolutely go off in this game he had a good game no doubt 34 points super solid but again I think that's a repeatable game for Steph and Clay similarly I know he hasn't been the same Clay and we've talked about that but he only went three for seven from three. It felt like he was making way more threes than that. Sometimes I think the Warriors guys just go off so much, you know, getting, you know, their shimmy on or whatever when they hit threes that it feels like they're hitting all of them when that actually isn't happening. So three for seven, absolutely repeatable for Clay. In fact, he can probably top that. I mean, 15 points. He's not the same player, but I can see Clay putting up. 20 plus in a couple games in this series. So I think there still is some offensive upside on the table for Golden State if they can figure out a way 
to uh, mitigate the poor offensive play of Draymond and then maximize the offensive potential of some of the other guys on the floor. So I guess I'm just saying offensively, I think it could be worse for Golden State. It felt worse for me watching it than coming back and looking at the stats. Interestingly, overall, like I said before, it felt to me like Golden State was in control of this game, shooting the lights out, all that stuff. But Boston actually outshot Golden State in every single category, 50.6 to 44.3 from the field, 51.2 to 42.2 from three-point range, and 81.3 to 73.3 from the free throw line. The thing I would highlight there is I don't think Boston's shooting over 50% maybe ever again in this series from three-point range. So that was huge for Boston and and huge for them to get game one in Golden State already. I mean, they can go lose game two and they're still in a pretty good spot. But that that just was uh, higher than I expected and I think had a big impact. Well, no shit, it had a big impact. All right, in terms of adjustments for game two, I am not an NBA coach, obviously. I... Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough. To, like they're going to come up with adjustments that uh, that are better than the ones I can come up with. But there are a few things that I think uh, I would throw out there as possible adjustments or things to watch for in game two. And these are things that I think can affect bets and especially player props uh, if they're true. And again, let me know. You know, let me know in the comments. Do you agree? Disagree? Whatever. Tell me I'm an idiot. That's fine. Just uh, if, if I'm an idiot, tell me what's actually true. Uh, if I don't know what I'm talking about. So first up, adjustments for Boston. This isn't really an adjustment, but it's just staying the course. And that is let Draymond and the other role players beat you. After watching game one, uh, I think the one player who has the potential to really go off in a game is Jordan Poole. I think Andrew Wiggins is what he is. And I think if they put Jason Tatum on him, it's going to limit him. I think he'll still, you know, kind of get his and have decent games, but I don't think he's going to beat them. So you shut down Steph number one, and then you give some attention to shutting down Clay, and then you just say, Draymond, go ahead, hit threes all day, drive to the basket, take on Robert Williams at the basket. We'll accept that as an outcome. Otto Porter, Otto Porter Jr., why don't you why don't you shoot a bunch again? Otto Porter Jr. took five threes and made four. I'd say do it again. Show me. Uh, I think if they can take Steph and Clay away, and to some extent. I just think with Tatum on Wiggins, they can minimize his impact enough just with that one-on-one matchup. And then you just let the other people beat you. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that in four out of the next six games. The second thing for Boston is to have the ball in Brown's hands less. Maybe on the fast break, you put it in his hands. But other than that, I would get him playing off the ball. If you want to let Jason Tatum bring it up, okay. Uh, I think... I like Marcus Smart bringing the ball up. I like him initiating the offense. I think Derek White did an okay job of that as well. So I would rather have one of those two guys, but I definitely don't want Jalen Brown. He plays one-on-one too much, dribbles around too much, loose with the ball, already talked about all this. And I think one of the things that could really kill Boston is if they start turning the ball over even more because Golden State's going to capitalize on that. So I would get the ball out of Brown's hands in terms of initiating the offense as much as I could, pretty much. And then the last thing is to consider, I said consider posting Tatum, but I guess what I mean is getting him the ball in more advantageous positions. So he got the ball out on the perimeter a lot, which is pretty common. And if he's hitting his threes, that's okay, because that's going to make the defense play differently. But if he's not hitting his threes, then 
the defense is able to give him a cushion and back up with him. And I think make life difficult for him at the rim <clears throat> or inside the three point line, where if you get him the ball at the elbow or um, closer down to on the block, he has a decent turnaround game. And if Wiggins is on him, I think he can shoot over Wiggins. If green is on him, I think he can shoot over green. Um, they did put Looney on him some, and that's probably a little bit more difficult matchup in terms of shooting over him. In that case, I guess it can make a little more sense to get him the ball out on the perimeter. But if you can get the right matchup, I like getting him the ball uh, at least inside the three-point line somewhere, letting him work and maybe look at turnarounds or passing from that position uh, instead of what he did as much in, in game one. That's Boston on the Golden State side. Uh, I would... It's a little tougher, honestly. Uh, they they played an okay game, but I would say dare Horford, Smart, and White to do it again. I think that's the biggest thing is Golden State continue to take away Tatum, uh, continue to take away Brown to some extent. And I would just say, hey, if you guys, if you three want to shoot 15 for 23 from three-point range again, you go ahead and do that because I don't think it happens. And so I think Golden State can't overreact to that and come off of Tatum or Brown onto some of these secondary players and leave more open looks for those guys. And then the other thing I would say in this, uh, to give the props where they go, I was watching this because of what Pig said on the stream yesterday, and he just talked about Golden State needing to push the pace and how they're better if they're able to push the pace. And I kind of agree. I think they need to try to push it even more. It can get a little, while Golden State definitely got some good looks, I would say a lot of those good looks were in the first quarter and then some in the third quarter again. But there were good stretches where Boston was able to make them take tough shots in the half-court offense. And so the more that Golden, and especially if you pair this with turnovers, and I mean, it's like no shit, uh, that's good for any team to do. But I think it is important for Golden State to really try to be disruptive on defense and then get out and run at every opportunity. You saw that one play where they were on the fast break and Steph, you know, threw the behind the head pass to Clay for the three. And of course, they pump it up everywhere because Steph runs away without watching if the shot goes in. But I think that's a good example of the fact that if they can get on the offensive there, you've got Looney who can run to the rim. You've got shooters who can spot up from three. And so I think their fast break offense would be a key in game two to, to be disruptive and try to get out in that fast break offense as quick as they can. All right, uh, not sure if we're going to have a stream coming up before game two, but hopefully get some picks out and stuff as we get closer to the game. Again, let me know in the comments what you think uh, about game one and what adjustments you think should be made going into game two. Hit that like button, subscribe, and I'll talk to you later. Have a good day.